0: A gospel lesson is found in Matthew chapter 13. We are reading verses 31 through verse 33. He put another parable before them saying, "'The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed "'that a man took and sowed in his field. "'It is the smallest of all seeds, "'but when it has grown it is larger "'than all the garden plants and becomes a tree.' So that the birds of the air come and make nest in its branches." He told them another parable: "The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened." This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word this morning, we ask that you might open our eyes that we see wondrous things of your promises. We ask that you might dig out our ears that we hear of your goodness and of your truth. And we ask, most importantly this morning, that you answer our request to teach us to pray. We ask that you speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. Unfortunately, regular recitations of the Lord's Prayer can result in a rote, almost superstitious usage of the words. We say it, but it can go little further than just air pressing through our lips. Of course, it's important to recognize that this is no strike against the prayer itself. No, we can't blame Jesus for our own spiritual laziness. And remember, When asked how to pray, this was Jesus' answer. This was his specific instruction. Use these words, pray like this. And it's important for us, again, to recognize that the problem in prayer, with the Lord's prayer, lies with us. We slide with incredible ease into a superficial and a shallow engagement with God. We can turn over these words and phrases without a reflective type of meditation on their power, on their import, and on all the possibilities that lie within it. And this is the value for us in these weeks, to take this prayer and to slowly dissect it, to turn it over, and to ask, what does it look like to say these words in faith? And so today... We come to the second petition of the prayer. Thy kingdom come. It's short. It's succinct. It's only three words. But let me give you a warning. Please do not be deceived. In the brevity of the request, there is a world of meaning and a world of possibility in these three very short words. And in particular, there are four things that I'd like to draw your attention to this morning from the request, thy kingdom come. And first, in saying these words and making this request of God, this petition, we confess our world's one true and living hope. I'm not sure about you, but I've never met a person who doesn't desire the betterment of the world. No one living that I've ever talked with has told me that they don't want the world to improve in some way. Now, of course, in those conversations, there have been many different visions of what it would look like for the betterment of the world to happen, but I've not met anyone yet who doesn't share the aspiration. And so, when we begin to define what it is we would want the world to look like for it to be better… Our problem is, is that that vision of what it would look like for betterment is typically bound up within the possibilities and within the promises that fall within our own capacity. That is, it's bound up in the things that we believe we can achieve. We easily begin to think of a particular political party. We begin to think of a technological advancement. We begin to think of a medical discovery or perhaps a social program, and we tie the betterment of the world to that activity and to that agenda. As Americans, we're particularly prone to do this. We inhabit the slogan of Bob the Builder. Can we do it? Yes, we can. That's what we like to do. We like to fix things. We are activists. But here's the problem for us. The evil and the injustice, the suffering and the pain of this world, they're far too insidious and it's also far too pernicious to be addressed by our minuscule agendas and actions. Even in our best moments, we can't get at the root of the problem of what's wrong with the world around us. And so where does this leave us? Does it just drop us off when we recognize how desperately sick the world is, how desperately sick our own hearts are? Does it just leave us in cynicism and despair with nothing to do? Our prayer today guides us into the one hope, though, and that that hope lies in the simple word that we have always translated classically in Old English, thy. Thy refers to God. Thy kingdom come. God, your kingdom come. Our world and all of its rot and ruin, this is its one hope, that God would intercede, that God would intervene, that God would become active and do something about it. Because in all the insidious and pernicious evil, it's only in calling on him and then seeing him act that there can be any bit of hope. And so when we call on him, for him to bring his kingdom, we confess that hope. We forsake all other hopes, recognizing that the hope for our world's transformation and healing lies in no one and in nothing else. second, when we pray these words, thy kingdom come, we also seek the renewal of all things. It's important for us to recognize in that phrase, the kingdom of God, that this is not referring to a place, but rather it's referring to a dynamic, a realm in which the grace of God operates. This is what the kingdom of God is. It is in this realm, in this reign of God, that evil and injustice, death and disease, pride and rebellion cannot stand. This is the realm under this reign that we were created to live in and to thrive in. It's also the realm that we, in our own foolish arrogance, rejected when we turned against God and Adam. And so when we cry out to God, we're recognizing that we need this reign to be among us. And it is through his death and resurrection that Jesus establishes the kingdom of God in our midst. Jesus, in his cross and dying for our sins and then rising from the dead, reconciles heaven and earth. And so we acknowledge that God's reign is here. It is present. But there's something important for us to also recognize, that his reign is not comprehensively expressed on the earth today. In Matthew 13, the parables that we read from Jesus, he tells us that the kingdom is like a bit of leaven that's this brought into three measures of flour. And then suddenly the whole lump of flour is leavened over time. And this is what the kingdom is like. It begins as something small and it's progressing towards a final goal of leavening the entire lump, a comprehensive expression. And when we pray the words of the Lord's Prayer and we ask for God that his kingdom would come, we're asking that God would hasten that final day when all the dough is leavened. Jesus has established the kingdom, but it is progressively moving towards this comprehensive expression. It will be consummated. And it is on that day when all that opposes God will finally be brought to an end. Death will be destroyed, sin will be forgotten, disease will ultimately be cured, and there will be no more sorrow in the world. Heaven and earth once again will interlock, and we will dwell with God in a new heavens and a new earth. The world will be freed from all of its groaning and from all of its bondage. God will be with us. And when we ask God in these three simple words for his kingdom to come, we're asking him to hasten that great day, to bring it quickly. But third, when we pray these words, we're also not just praying for the future kingdom to come. We're also asking that God would advance his reign now in the present. Though the evil in our world will comprehensively and only be addressed on that final day. We continue to seek God to advance his reign on the earth today in the present moment. In Matthew 13, once again, Jesus explains this. He says that the kingdom grows from a mustard seed, the smallest of all seeds, and becomes a great tree. And that tree becomes a home for all of the nations. But it's clear in Jesus' teaching that he speaks of the progress of the kingdom there. It is something that grows. Yes, it finds final consummation. But when we pray the words of the Lord's Prayer, we're asking for that progress. That God would roll back the impact and the power of sin as they display themselves in our world. And so when we pray for the kingdom to come, We are asking that God would turn the nations, that people from every tribe and tongue would come to seek him, that they would know the redeemer who's given himself for the life of the world. When we ask God for his kingdom to come, we do ask that he would undo the injustice and evil in our world and in our society. We ask that God would provide for the poor and the powerless, the unborn and the oppressed, the weak and the least of these. We're praying for these types of things. And when we pray for the kingdom to come, we're also asking God to renew the church, that He would revitalize us again and again in the height and width, the depth and the breadth of His love revealed in Jesus, so that we may be awakened to His purposes. In praying for the kingdom to come, we seek the advance of God's reign now, and we seek it in many ways. These are the types of things that we pray for. That God, in whatever measure He gives, would, gain a, would give us a taste of what is to come. And finally, in praying these three simple words, we also commit ourselves to the way of the kingdom. We recognize that it is God alone who can bring the kingdom, But in praying for the kingdom to come, we invest ourselves in the way of the king himself. Jesus came and established his reign, and he didn't do so through power or coercion. He famously did so through service and sacrifice. He laid down his life and gave himself for the world. Jesus denied his own interest, and he served others sacrificially. That is the way of the king. The way of the king, you could summarize it, is the way of the cross. John Calvin, in his commentary on this, explains that the prayer instructs us just in that way. That we too, when we pray these words, become invested in bearing the cross. We become invested in bearing the way of the king, for it's in this way that God wills to spread his kingdom. And so when we pray for the kingdom to come we recognize that Jesus bore a cross in order to establish the kingdom and that he bestows a cross on us in the advancement of the kingdom. And so we commit ourselves to bearing the cross as the presence of God manifests itself throughout the word, the world. And so we have three brief words, thy kingdom come, and yet four powerful, rich, rich, and full implications. When we pray for the kingdom to come, we confess our world's one hope, that the world's one hope is bound up in God and not in human capacities and capabilities. We seek the renewal of all things. We are asking God to bring that day and to hasten it, to come quickly, Lord Jesus. And yet, we also seek the renewal of things today in the present. We're asking God to renew the nations of the earth. We're asking God to undo the conditions of sin. We're asking God to revitalize the church. And we also, in praying these words, commit ourselves to the way of the King, that the way of the King is the way of the cross. And so, friends, a simple prayer that can become a rote liturgical fragment something we do daily, weekly, in church. Don't let it become that in your life. Allow Jesus to teach you all of its meaning and all of its possibilities, and so let's go to him and ask for that help. Let's pray. Father, we recognize our great laziness that often happens in our prayers in which we say words, we haven't reflected on them, we haven't considered them deeply, And we ask, God, that you would take us deeper and further into all that Jesus teaches us about prayer. And so we say today, thy kingdom come, and may it come in its fullest and most comprehensive senses, that you would be at work today, that you will hasten the day, that you will teach us what it means to bear the cross as we confess our one hope in you. We ask for your help, Lord.